0: Hey guys, it's Scott from fxmissions.com. Just a note, I've finished the trilogy of anthologies from the forefront and all three books are currently available on Amazon. This podcast made possible through the partnership of Engaging Missions Show, bringing missions home, and encouraging you to hear a message, make connections, and take action. Find out more at engagingmissions.com. Welcome to From the Forefront, an FX Missions podcast. Stories about courageous souls who felt the call of missions and obeyed. Hi, Scott McClelland with your FX Missions From the Forefront podcast. Thanks for joining us. Real happy today to be joined by James Sharp. James is from... North Louisiana, I think they call. Is that right, James? Yes, sir. (laughs) Northeast Louisiana. Northeast Louisiana. In contrast to Northwest Louisiana, I guess. Yes, sir. (laughs) Monroe and Shreveport just can't get along, I guess. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Worlds apart. (laughs) That is true. That is true. I know I lived in Shreveport for quite a while. So thanks for taking some time to talk to us here on From the Forefront. I do a. Poor job introducing you. So, why don't you take just a second? Tell us uh, a little bit about who you are, where you're
1: from, and maybe a little bit about your family and that kind of stuff. Sure. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. And uh, basically, like you said, I'm uh, kind of a redneck from Northeast Louisiana, born and raised in, <laughs> in Bastrop. I spent some time in a Christian uh, metal band for several years, kinda on the road, bounced around the state a little bit, ended back up here and uh now I'm in Sterlington. A Christian metal band. Yes sir. Christian metal. Yes sir.
0: What part I did not know that, but that's cool to know. What 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 did you
1: what did you do in the band? So I played drums, uh, but we we did all original material. So I helped arrange and write some of this material as well. Okay.
0: Okay, uh, is there any YouTube video we could we could look up on that? I, I believe there's a pure volume. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we better leave that for episode two, James. But I'm intrigued. I will say that. So, Christian metal band, you traveled all around. Yes, sir. You're back
1: in northeast Louisiana. Yes, sir. I've been back here. Um, I'm 33 now, and I've been back here since I guess 24. So just about 10 years. When I moved back, I I moved to Bastrop, but then I got a job here at a chemical plant in uh, Sterlington, which is just between uh, Bastrop and Monroe. I worked there for seven years and kind of got introduced into missions and ministry and also my wife. And uh, so since then, we've had two girls, got a four-year-old and a nine-month-old. And here we are heading into mission full-time with an organization called Willing to Go.
0: Willing to go. Okay. Where would, where would we find willing to go? Uh, if we want to know more about the organization, willing to go.com pretty easy. one. Hey, that was easy. Willing to go.com. Okay, cool. So 33, 24, when you got back from touring with the metal band and you are married now for how many years? Uh, five, five years. Congratulations guy. Dude, that's awesome. Thank you. Is it, Is it your fifth anniversary? It's already been your fifth anniversary. This summer it'll be sixth. So in uh, July. Okay. Yeah, I know those big those big anniversaries like five and ten and that it's a big deal. So that's cool, man. Congratulations
1: on your on your family. Your wife's name Hannah, and then our daughters are Ireland and Elliot. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Ireland, L Y N, not the country. Okay, Ireland. Okay. That's cool. Makes
0: sense. That's a pretty name. Congratulations on a good start of your family. And I know you guys are are getting ready to do some stuff more long-term in missions. We want to talk about your early missions and ministry exposure in addition to the metal band stuff. But before we do that, if, if you would tell us a little bit maybe about some of your first experiences with the Lord, or how you met the Lord, or conversion type stuff—is there something there you'd like to mention?
1: Sure, I was uh, the youngest of six boys, and uh, then there were two girls after me, so a pretty big family. My mom came wow. from a, yeah, <laughs> pretty big. My mom came from a Catholic background, and my dad—they were kind of—they did sharecropping, so they kind of moved where the work was, and um, you know, it was either. Whatever the, the local Baptist or Methodist church was, they kinda attended that. When they met and got together, they kind of ended up in uh in the middle of the Jesus movement. So there was Oh, okay. Yeah, so there was kind of they didn't really recognize it as such, but <laughs> but they were uh just being exposed to the charismatic movement and mm-hmm. part of a couple of church plants and everything before I came along. But the first church I remember was a non-denominational church, just charismatic. I, I have some pretty early memories there, but there was sort of a like a leadership scandal, I, I guess you would say there, and they they, oh, yeah. they left. And so um, they were actually driving a pretty far way to take us there. And so we started in our hometown going to uh, Assemblies of God Church and kind of experience a, a similar situation there with a church split and then... Another one. So by the time I was 16, I was kind of uh, a little bit soured toward church, Mm. even though we were in a Christian band and and trying to do a ministry. But, you know, when I came to know Jesus, it was in that setting. Not so much of the churches, not that I I really have fond memories of those churches. You know, all that stuff was Mm -hmm. (laughs) over my head. I didn't know that was going on but uh gotcha gotcha you know our parents were just really faithful to disciple us they spent every night every night i can remember in that home and even on vacation with them they made sure we were in the word at some point they felt that it was just as important for us to feed from the word as it was to to eat and it was clear in the way they walked it out and i think i was four i was four when uh my mom broke down the gospel for me in such a way that it finally sank in i I'd heard the story of Jesus and the cross so much that, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I just felt guilty for the sins that they had put him there, and I, I actually made tried to make a a cross out of some benches we had, and I, you know, I don't know what I was (laughs) thinking, but I hurt myself, and that's that just opened the door for my mom to, to really be able to speak that into my life and pray to prayer. And just really grew in the Lord, but then being disconnected from a local church, um, it led to a lifestyle of hypocrisy, being on the road, not connected to a spiritual authority or anything. And and so in my hmm. early twenties, God really started to convict me and to call me back home spiritually and physically. Wow, man. What you're describing there
0: is a common thread, but it's also unique as well for to your experience. Uh Yes. God, he reaches out to us, you know, and we feel is reaching even early in life.
1: Right.
0: And, and then some of us make our way back home. <laughs> yeah. I can relate. So, but this is your story, not mine. And we'll tell that we'll tell that one later. But okay. uh, that's very cool, man. Very early conversion. And then being gripped with more of the, you know, the reality of the Lord's wooing when you're Kind of out there a little bit. I I can I can relate. So a lot of what we talk about on from the forefront is uh, mission stuff. And so if you don't mind, take just a minute here and tell us about how you thought you might first be a little bit interested in mission stuff, and okay. some of your early travels there, some of the first first go round of you and missions.
1: It's kind of funny, you know. God saves us from our own plans. And mm. looking back on it now, really uh, a different, lonely, sad <laughs> plan for my life. That's really what it boils down to. I uh, I really didn't even have mission on the radar. I just started mm. hungering after after the things of God, you know. And as part of that process, I started to get these support letters from a girl who was going on trips with the local college, which is uh, University of Louisiana at Monroe. She was oh yeah. She mm-hmm. was going with the Baptist collegiate ministry there. And so I would get these reports back. Here I am working, just helping this girl go. And I, I start to read these stories of changed lives, you know, and it would be just over her spring break or her Thanksgiving. And mm. I thought to myself, you know, I could I could actually do something like that. I I get vacation with this job and I'm just kinda hoarding my money to myself. <laughs> And I could yeah. I could still help her go and potentially do that. So I reached out, and um, she actually put me in contact with Ashton McIntyre, who founded Willing to Go, and it was actually a, like a childhood mentor of mine. I knew it from a Christian camp, and so we got together, and uh, you know he kind of told me a little bit about the trips and what they might be like, and I planned to go on three different trips with him, and all mm-hmm. of them fell through. Oh, now.
0: Yeah, let's let's
1: run it back and get the
0: first name of the girl. Okay, uh
1: Katie. So, okay, yeah. Katie.
0: And she she was traveling at that time. She was in ULM and she was traveling. Yeah. To, was she going
1: with willing to go on these short term no, trips? She's so she was cousins with with Ashton mm-hmm. and that's that's how she made the introduction. She didn't she, oh, okay. she wasn't aware that we had a we had gotcha. a past. And I actually thought that Ashton was in uh was in youth ministry still, but he had been doing short term missions trips with the with a uh, group called okay. x m a gotcha so fast
0: forward a little bit she she introduced you guys had said yeah let's this makes sense let's
1: get going. you made plans to go on three trips and none, none of, of those none of them happened, happened. so I, I'm starting to grow kind of- cynical about it. Cause there were really bizarre situations, uh, that were keeping us from going. We even paid airfare and everything. And I was just kind of thinking, well, this is weird. Maybe I just missed God's timing, but I really thought I, I was following after what he wanted and not my own mm-hmm. wants and desires. And so I, I kind of gave up on it. Um, he, he told me there, there was a trip coming up to Nicaragua. Mm-hmm and asked if I would be interested. And, I, of course, I said yes, but I just kind of thought to myself, maybe it will happen, maybe it won't. In between that time of us leaving and that trip actually coming together, I met Hannah, and uh, we were married. <laughs> oh, cool. So there was a little process there of – uh your early
0: attraction to short-term mission stuff that Katie helped with, and then some struggles to on-ramp is what I would call sure. that, which is fairly typical. Yes. You don't know that when you're on the on-ramp, you don't know it's an on-ramp. Yeah. But, but it's, in this case, I guess it turned out to be.
1: yeah. And, and I, then going forward, yeah. I think it was God's timing for those trips to fall through because, you know, with so many things in life, I'm kind of a slow decision maker. But when it came to marriage and to mission, Mm -hmm. both of those things, I was ready to kind of just jump, jump all in really quickly with. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I believe that while I was in Nicaragua, I I was just impacted very, very strongly. And I I was considering what it would take to move down there full time. And, you know, as my mind would start to race down that path, I would have to remember, oh, yeah, you're married. <laughs> you're probably going to have well, to talk. Yeah. I see what you're saying about the
0: the timing thing there and, and the sequencing, uh, if you will. Yes, sir. So if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about your first trip to Nicaragua and where you were in Nicaragua and okay. what you guys did. Sure.
1: We thought it was going to be primarily a construction trip. The, this group, mm-hmm. this was not willing to go yet. This was a group called XMA. That mm-hmm. Ashton was with, and and they were, it was stood for extreme missionary adventures. So their emphasis was to reach remote, access peoples, and mm-hmm. I really was intrigued by that too. And so they had done work on this peninsula called Costa Guina. If you follow that trail all the way down to the end of the peninsula, it kind of ends on a cliff, and then this really pretty beach, and you can actually see mm. Honduras and El Salvador right there within swimming distance. In fact, wow. some fugitives have have used that, that roadway back there. But, you know, it, it's several hours out. Eventually roads run out and you're just kind of driving across the field and you kind of have to lock the car up and backpack in a little ways. And then once you get there, get some horses mm-hmm. to make it to the other end. We did that, but it turned out that most of the work that we had set out to do was going to be done. And we found this out a little beforehand. So we were somewhat prepared, but the locals had really taken care of this widow's house who we were going to serve. And so we were glad because, you know, that's what you want to see down the road. You want to see local ownership, but for, for us, Mm -hmm. it was kind of like the selfish thought of now, what do we do? And so there was about three or four guys and they were all kind of like me. Thinking that this was going to be something we could be of real real use, you know, we're not preachers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. We we started to realize we're going to be doing a lot of talking while we're there, so we uh-huh. we spent some time in Potteramus and that community. We went to an orphanage in in Shenandega. We went to probably three or four different ministries and locations and and got to share our story and help with feedings and a few events like that. But we did spend the bulk of the time out in Cosa Guina meeting with the local churches there who hadn't really had the Word of God for very long. They had a solar-powered MP3 player that had the Spanish New Testament. And for them, that was church. And you had, they were so far away, you had kind of a local church setting on the front end and one on the back end of that peninsula.
0: Wow. Remote is the only way to say that. You know, for us who've been raised in more developed environments, you know, it's hard for us to imagine, sometimes not having seen it, that people live in those kind of situations. That was, uh, I remember some of my first experiences hiking in, if you will, no roads to where these people live. You know, I guess in my mind, uh, I don't know, but I thought there was roads to everywhere. (laughs) You know,
1: so that's that must have been a shocker in on its own, right? Oh, uh, it was not just the poverty, but the like you're talking about, just the total culture shock. You can see it on TV, mm-hmm. you know, or YouTube all day long, but when you s- lay eyes on it for yourself and you get a sense of the the humanity, these are real people. <laughs> you know, they're not far mm-hmm. removed. Yeah. They have dreams and plans for the weekends and plans for their children, just like we do. And it just, it shapes you and shakes you really in a different way. Mm, yeah. you, you get smells, mm. you know, that say, you know, yeah. it just, <laughs> it's a whole different reality when you see it for yourself. And sometimes it's so heavy, you know, you're not really able to process through it, but you're really sensitive to what God is saying and and even his heart for those people. For sure. Yeah. I think I I really recognize that in some of my first
0: trips myself, your senses are like on high alert. All the doors to your mind and heart are wide open. And that's a good thing, but it also can be an overwhelming thing with those doors wide open like that. You're taking a lot of stuff in and yeah. it can impact you but again the processing it takes some time to onboard
1: everything you experience and i think that's normal don't you yes sir i think um sometimes we we might want to jump to how do i fix this <laughs> you know how how do i play a role and not even so much as a messiah complex but as a Just as a follower of Christ, wanting to see justice, wanting to see people come to know Christ. But, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes if we're just slower to listen and learn, I think, uh, I think God has his timing and his like that processing already mapped out for us. We just have to be willing not to, not to jump into it too quickly. I think. Right. Yeah. It's, it is a
0: process. And I think for those who start, Fast in my experience, I've seen a lot of people start fast and show a lot of promise. Yeah, but those say, so a lot of those people like the parable of the sower, right? The ones that have shallow soil, the the seed can't go down very far, so it goes up quick. But when adversity comes, <laughs> the seed doesn't survive because it's too close to the surface. So yeah, getting that yeah. stuff down deep and considering it, thinking about it, especially if you want to participate in an ongoing way, not necessarily even in long-term missions, but in an ongoing way on short-term missions, I think you've got to take that stuff deep and and process it. So, very cool. Now, if if you could name a single takeaway from your First missions experience that you carry with you right to today. I know I'm, I'm kind of throwing that on you, but is there something that comes there's, to
1: mind? There's two. They kind of fold into each other. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. gonna I'm gonna cheat the system a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one is you know I really didn't have a biblical framework for missions. The okay. the churches we were in they were big giving churches to missions. But it was sort of an outsourced thing. And I don't think it was intentional. It was just Mm -hmm. that we didn't know up close and personal missionaries. You know, We would see Mm -hmm. a family come in for three minutes of the service or maybe a video here or there. But we never really knew people up close and personal or had a connection point. All of my siblings had gone on these short-term trips, whether in the States or in another country, And for me, it just never struck home. I thought it was this optional thing that I'm not going to check that, that list on the Christian discipline box kind (laughs) of. And then of course I look at it radically different now, but even when I was going on this trip, I just felt that this was something that surely God was impressing on me because I'd never had an urge like that before. And uh, on the plane, before we really got out of Monroe, Ashton, the trip Later, he was taking a course called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. And mm-hmm. in that, it's got tons of articles from a lot of different scholars from all different backgrounds. And one of them is from John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And it said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Mm. And then, it, you know, it goes on to explain several different angles on that, that, true worship fuels and ignites a passion for God's heart. And God's heart is for all the peoples of the world to to bring him glory, to worship.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But then it also talked about how worship is the ultimate end of humanity. That's our purpose. And missions is just a, a means to that end. You know, we're going and gathering joyful worshipers. So that set the framework for me for understanding what we were even doing especially not having the construction aspect in play as much. We did a a few manual labor tasks, but for the most part, we were, we really were speaking and building relationships with people. And Mm
0: -hmm. it
1: just hit home with me that no matter what project we do with our hands, what we're there to do is gather joyful worshipers of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and that just really, that was something I could get behind Mm. and it, it, It really helped me a lot understand that. But then I was thinking in terms of remote access. So we got to Cosa Guina and, you know, seeing these remote people and like on the front end, that church was pretty healthy, especially for not really having been discipled, just meeting regular and listening to the word and praying together. But on the back end, Mm -hmm. outside of the host family Everyone else was curious, but not really, it hadn't taken root. Hmm. There were not really any individuals or families who were saying, you know, we want to follow Jesus. They were just saying, can I tell us more? And while that was encouraging, it was also really like a burden to me because I couldn't believe that the church and the Bible had been around the song and that there were people just now getting the gospel, you know, just now getting the chance to accept or reject. And so I started to ask those kinds of things as we left, um, you know, left that area, and I was opened up to the conversation about unreached people groups. And from there, like it's it's all been like history was written after that for me, because <laughs> I, I mean, it, it just floored me. I, I couldn't believe not only that there are entire language groups with less than two percent Christian witness. But that I had, you know, almost made it to 30 and been in and around the church all my life and had not heard of such a thing as unreached people groups. Wow. So that that
0: was I mean, I think that happens to a lot of us, but it, it seems like it, it's a surprise every, every, you yeah. know, it just it's, it's an ongoing surprise, which I think speaks to uh, an opportunity to improve. I mean, where you were wasn't really an unreached people group, but in the process of you studying and become familiar with this material on that that course and some other stuff, you became aware. Is that how that happened?
1: Yeah. Well, even while we were on the trail walking from that last community coming back, I started to ask about that. And that's where the mission leader, you know, while we're walking, he's starting to tell me about this. And I I remember actually stopping because we had pack horses and everything, and I was thinking I just can't be hearing him right. You know, I actually asked him to repeat himself a few times to explain unreached people groups to me. But it just happened because we were visiting remote access peoples, you know, not because Mm -hmm. they were unreached, but because I was curious as to how how this could be. That's when he took the opportunity to tell me that that was really kind of a, a microcosm of the global picture. So
0: it sounds like that particular walkout was an important, maybe a key, uh, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, in your life and to your future. So, yes, I mean, we're fast forwarding here. How many years ago was that? That was 2012. OK, 2012 yeah. or be six years this year. Yes. Sir. Since then. And I would I'm guessing a lot's changed since then. I mean. We could talk. You've been back and forth to Nicaragua a bunch. I've seen, you know, a lot of stuff on Willing to Go's site. These scenes that are on Willing to Go's website are, are, are scenes that I am very familiar with from uh, from Nicaragua. Been I've been to Nicaragua a bunch of times, as you have. Yes, sir. That to me it was really cool when we first we're introduced, I'm saying, I know these places. Yeah. The volcano surfing. Yeah. I know that one. Yes, you know, I mean, there's a, just a, just a lot there that is uh, similar though. We have yet to meet in person, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yes. But as we're talking about looking forward, we may need to come back and get another session with you because we, I think we might run out of runway here time-wise, but to try to get it packed in here. You were impacted by short term stuff in that process. You were going after that first trip with some frequency. You were, you you picked up some speed. You got more involved. The willing to go organization came on the radar. There was some involvement there. And right now you're preparing for something in the future. And I know you can't talk in complete detail about that for security purposes or whatever. I get that. But what can you tell us about the future you're preparing for and what you believe the Lord is leading you to? And I know we're, we're transitioning here. So kind of a jump from short-term work at some point in short-term work, you said, Hey, I'm supposed to be maybe doing this more, more than short term. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then we'll transition to what you're preparing for.
1: Okay. Well, honestly, on that, on that first trip, I felt like this was, um, you know, we talked about a process time and everything, but I still felt that this was something I was going to give my life to. Even the speaking part, I, I'm kind of introverted. And the first time I opened my mouth, even though we're using an interpreter, it was like a glove fit on for the first time. And wow. I just had that sensation that, you know, I think every Christian gets when they talk about the father, but there was a unique significance there for me in doing that that particular mission work and falling in love with the people of Nicaragua. Mm. So that's kind of how that really sparked. I, I came home and gave it to my wife and was just like, <laughs> you know, I know we're just figuring out seven weeks into marriage here, but I've got <laughs> <laughs> I've got to do this somehow. And uh, her her plan was, you know, let's take your vacation time and give it to that. And until God shows us differently or more clearly what our future is, Mm. we'll just agree to go that route. And and that's how the frequency picked up, like you were talking about Mm -hmm. having a heart to see what happened for me, for Americans, but also seeing long lasting relationships formed in Nicaragua. During this time we both took perspectives together. Go ahead and, and talk if somebody is, is uh maybe
0: heard of perspectives, but doesn't know it well, take just a sec there and give at least enough information where if somebody wants to find out more about that course, they could. Okay. Go ahead.
1: I think it's I think the website is perspectives.org. Okay.
0: Perspectives
1: is a fifteen week course. It was originally put together by the US Center for World Missions, Mm-mm. Ralph Winter. And Steve mm-hmm. Hawthorne kind of pioneered it. They wrote a lot of the articles in it, but it's, it's an, a huge book. Uh, basically, it's a 15-week course that takes you through four perspectives. The first couple of weeks are biblical. They show mm-hmm. you a biblical picture of not only mission, uh, but the overarching theme of the Bible that's God's glory. You know, the entire Bible is the story of God's glory. And so they walk you through that yeah. down into a few weeks of historical and then another few weeks of mm-hmm. cultural which it, it gets really interesting all during that time. And then the very last section is strategic. And so they really try to show you how you're going to play a role, whether that's being a, a welcomer, someone here who impacts foreigners' lives, uh, a goer, someone who goes on term or even in a short-term basis, a sender, someone who gives financially or resources in other unique ways uh, for trips to take place or a mobilizer somebody who calls others to to pick up the torch and and go to the nations. So it's very cool. It's a it's a really life changing course. Each instructor is from the field in some capacity. So it's it's really neat. Cool. So you at that time, after you got back, you said,
0: my hair's on fire, baby. And I know we just got married seven weeks ago. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you got, you know, she said, let's take those vacations. Let's let's start and see what the Lord's got in it. You at that time and the next season of time, you took Perspectives together. Yes. Then what happened?
1: We were on staff at a church right before we we did this Perspectives course, and we were kind of running ragged, both working, both doing ministry and and working full time. So it was just a lot of burnout happening, and and we kind of came to the point where we needed to step back from that. Joined a mm. local church, New Life Community Church that was right down the road from us. It's actually in Monroe, but it's right here. The pastor here had worked with a particular group of people um, in, a, in a closed country. Mm. And just over the course of time, God kind of transferred that burden onto us. I mean, really in perspectives, he primed the pump. You know, we both Mm -hmm. we both started really having a heart for the unreach, and it gripped us in such a way that we felt like maybe mobilizing isn't all we're meant to do. Because those trips Mm -hmm. to Nicaragua, that was encouraging both people from the states and Nicaragua to fulfill the Great Commission. And so we considered that mobilization. But, you know, at the same time, we were just getting really jealous (laughs) to play a more direct role. (laughs) You, you initially, as you're onboarding
0: new information, as the perspectives is kind of giving you a perspective of how the puzzle looks and what the pieces are on the table and, you know, that picture of the yes, puzzle. I think that's a lot what we, when we learn something or we encounter people who are further down the road from us in what we're devoting yes, ourselves sir. to. It's kind of like a puzzle box, right? They pull the picture out of the puzzle. They say, there's the picture. And then they pour out all these pieces on the, and you're going, oh, uh, yeah. yeah." You know, I don't know if you like puzzles. My girls like the, all the time. I'm no good at puzzles personally, but they are just, they do it crazily around. But so you start seeing pieces of the puzzle and you initially thought you might be that mobilizer piece, but then you. Started feeling maybe there's something more here. Is that? Am I hearing you right? Yes,
1: sir. We both we were just gripped. You know, Joshua Project, one of the the tracking agencies for unreached people groups. They they have this app called the Unreach of the Day. So part of our family devotion was around the dinner table. We would look up that profile of the Unreach of the Day, mm-hmm. and you know we would look at the prayer points and pray for the people group and. It would wake us up at night praying for, for these people like the, You know, the Holy Spirit was just at work on our hearts and uh, giving us a heart, not necessarily with a specific designation, but just I think mm-hmm. just getting that heart after God's, you know, which beats for his glory among
0: all peoples. Amen to that. And so I see where you're onboarding there. So you guys decide at some point and you, you feel like, Hey, this is not only somebody else's burden for this specific emphasis or people group, but it's, it's also my burden. I feel like our burden, we have to take personal responsibility, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. So we, we've got about five minutes left and I know we've, we've, we've talked uh, at some length and again, we can get back, we can get back on this, but take, Two minutes here and tell us in a little bit of detail, as much as you can. Again, keeping things private that need to stay that way from a family perspective and a people group perspective. What are you preparing for and where in your stage of preparation are you? OK,
1: I left my job in December to raise support full time from the hope would be to from January to April. Financially, we're at about 70%. We've got a whole lot of prayer warriors, and we're just continuing to kind of gather that that army that, that's going to mm-hmm. do this with us. The future for us, mm. it's like hopefully three to four trips a year to Nicaragua, continuing to do that same sort of work. In the meantime, mm-hmm. while I'm here, spending 50 hours a week, starting in May, of course, learning a language that's just the anterior language. And so I would do that for... You know six and a half to seven years, so I turned thirty three last Monday. By the time I'm forty, then I would be fluent and able to kind of stand on my own feet. So until that time, I'll be going to our target people groups with a, another another missionary who is I'm trying to think of how to say that sensitively. He's he's worked. In, in a <laughs> yeah. geographical uh, proximity to to where we want to go, so basically I would be like an apprentice under him. Gotcha. For that season, we would be going two or three times a year for two or three weeks at a time. Right. In addition to those Nicaragua trips, and and then the hope is once I become fluent, I would be able to kind of stand on my own feet and and minister but I've got to get the language down to get the chance to minister. And then beyond that, the people group that he has poured his life and their family's life into the hope would be that I would then train them to acquire the next language. So the interior language, there's actually four people groups and they're all oral only culture. So I would have to go back Mm -hmm. to school to learn that process again. But the, the, true vision is to see healthy churches planted among all four of those people groups with the word of God in their mother tongue, or at least being translated or, or that process beginning in their mother tongue.
0: Right, right. Yeah, it's a process. I I completely get it. I want to say thank you for your courage. And also, I want to thank you for your willingness to sort of work on a long-term plan a lot of short-termers, you know. It's um, I decide this month if I'm going to go somewhere or not. You know, that's yeah. not the process you're in. You're in a different process. You guys have made those decisions. A, you're taking those steps, and I'm I'm thankful for your long-range perspective. Good for you and for your family and and for the gospel and for the kingdom that you've done that. And I, I just want to recognize that and thank you for your courage. Just to kind of recap that piece, you're you're in a a longer on-ramp of preparation to be ready to be used or prepared to be used in this specific part of closed country, people groups, oral only, that kind of stuff. In the 1040 window. <laughs> yes, in the 1040 That's... window. I'm familiar with that window. I know what you're saying. We're going to pray. We're, <laughs> The Holy Spirit is going to help us pray for where you're going. Let's just put it that way. But as we're thinking about that and as we're contemplating it and let letting your story really inspire us, yours and Hannah's story inspire us, how can we pray for you guys and your family now and, and downrange?
1: Right now, we've all kind of had this little uh, sinus infection and. Just the pollen and everything. So physically, you could pray. The, the girls have, have been kind of sick and myself as well. So mm. uh, pray for us there. By the time this this airs, probably the main thing that we'll need prayer for, and even right now, is um, this support raising process just to be able to mm. spend our time wisely, making the right calls to the right people in the right time. Mm. And I, I think only God can can line all that out down the road getting visa situations worked out we got a trip coming up in may to nicaragua um, mm. and then hopefully uh, another one to our target location in the fall august or somewhere in there and i uh, just made okay. prayers for all, the, all those things to all the f- pieces to fall in order very cool man
0: well we'll certainly be doing that You know, I want to also thank you that, you know, you're you're a source of inspiration for people. I think in a lot of ways, this hit me the same way. I I didn't maybe think I had anything to do in missions. You know, I just like felt a little drawing to go and, you know, it's going to be a trip and it's going to be a cool thing and I'll get to experience something new. And then I got struck on the field, (laughs) you know, like. This is uh, maybe not as casual as as you as you thought. So that's a real inspiration to me, and I think you're providing a great example in that way. So thank you Thanks. for that. Now, if, if someone wants to keep up with you guys uh, specifically and maybe the ministry in general or know more about that, how do they find you if someone wants to send you an email or a message or something? either to keep up or to get involved. What's the best way to do that, James?
1: Okay, I'm going to start old school, as they say. So So are you talking about snail mail here? (laughs) What are you talking about? Uh, my number is, uh, three, one, eight, six, six, nine, seven, nine, eight, seven. So I would love to, to talk. That would be my preferred way of, of contact. So it's six, six, nine, seven, nine, eight, seven. But of course you can find me on, uh, Facebook, James Edward Sharp, get a website, mm-hmm. Cool. And you can email me or private message me on any of those things on Twitter, uh, at, at the James Sharp. And then of course I mentioned willingtogo.com. Uh you can find my my email and everything through there as well. Okay, cool, cool. I thought you when you
0: were going old school, you were going to say something about snail mail <laughs> no. to the Twitter generation here or the Instagram generation or whatever. It is kind of a throwback. Now I'm older than you are obviously and not by just a little, but I'm so surprised at how Different people communicate, you know, different ways, That's but I'm with you, man. I, I've been in the phone business a long time. I'm, I'm up for a good, good old phone conversation yeah. myself, but there are a lot of ways different people communicate different ways. Sure. So people will look you up there, your website, Facebook, and, and also the phone number you gave. We're going to include a lot of that in the show notes. We'll try not to put the number in the show notes where it could be scraped and you could get a thousand sure. calls from somebody you don't, don't want to hear. Here right. from, very cool. So we'll keep up with you that way, and hoping to meet you in person very soon. Maybe we, as your process continues, or maybe if you want to give us a report from one of these trips, it'd be really helpful. I think when you get back in May, if you want to give us a yell, we could take some time and talk specifically about the trip you just okay. are going to be wrapping up. That'd be yeah. great. Sounds great. And good. Uh, yeah, give. Yeah, so give give our greetings to Hannah and and thank her for letting us borrow you on the weekend. I know that's a, typically a a lot of times family time. So thank you for that. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Blessings to you. I'm gonna pray real quick and we'll close it out. Okay, thank you. Lord, we just thank you for James and Hannah Sharp and for their vision, for your glory among the nations, Lord. Even those who haven't heard or haven't seen or haven't known anything about you, Lord, we ask you to fuel their fire and let it burn for the long term that they could uh, cooperate with your grace to publish your glory in every corner and in every place and with every people group until before your throne, every tongue, tribe, and nation cries holy. Lord, we ask for that and we thank you for it. And we ask you to bless James and Hannah in this, their endeavor and their daughters as well. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you, man. Stick around here for just a second and uh, I'll double back. Thanks for joining us for the FX Missions podcast from the forefront. If you'd like to find out more about FX Missions, please do so at our blog fxmissions.com. Quite a bit of content out there. We hope you enjoy it. Also, if you'd like to rate us on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use, we would really appreciate it. And find out more about today's guest at our Facebook page. Just search for From the Forefront on Facebook. If you know of someone who should be featured on From the Forefront because of their Forefront missions, experience, or exploits, please reach out to us at info at fxmissions.com. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, I'm Scott McClelland, and you have a good one.